Before we begin today's episode, we'd like to thank our corporate sponsor, Fiduciary Trust International, for their generous support. Fiduciary Trust International helps families with significant wealth manage that wealth and the complexities that come with it across the generations. Building your legacy is about more than just managing your investments. Fiduciary Trust International helps you look at your wealth holistically today and plan effectively for your future. They will help you structure your wealth so you can enjoy it now and provide maximum benefit to your heirs and the causes you care about. If you're looking for trust, estate, and advanced tax planning services to help you grow and protect your wealth, check out Fiduciary Trust International at fiduciarytrust.com. It's quiz time. Which Belcanto composer wrote his most well-known comedy in only six weeks? Find out on today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is made possible via generous funding from its corporate sponsor, Fiduciary Trust International, and support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. If you guessed Gaetano Donizetti and his opera L'Elysir d'Amore, you are correct. The opera debuted in 1832 in Milan and has become one of the most popular operas in the standard repertoire. The opera debuted at the Met on January 23, 1904, with Enrico Caruso as Nemorino and Marcella Sembrick as his love, Adina. I'm your host, Stuart Holt, and on today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, we're joined by soprano and the Guild's school program senior associate, Alison Sheehan, as she discusses this bel canto classic. Lizier d'Amore, or The Elixir of Love, by Gaetano Donizetti, has been a standard in the operatic repertoire for over a hundred years. It continues to delight audiences of all ages with its show-stopping arias and whimsical plot. Beneath its simple exterior, there is so much to explore in this story alone. When assessing the ability of this piece to stay relevant, one must explore the very basis of our fascination with the plot by asking, why love potions? Our society is enthralled by the concept of love potions, and we see examples of that reflected in all artistic mediums, whether it be operas, plays, films, music, TV shows, even reality TV stars. The concept of love potions, or the elixir of love, is deeply ingrained in our society. But how did that happen, and where did it all begin? Throughout history, people have told stories of magic and potions to explain the unexplainable. The concept of the love spell dates back to ancient Greece. The Greek would combine herbs that they believed would make a traveling lover return home or restore peace to a challenging relationship. They might even try to channel Aphrodite, whom they believed to be the goddess of love, to bless their elixir and make it work. The legend of Aphrodite is that she was born out of the sea and the most beautiful of all the Greek goddesses. She was married off to Hephaestus, the god of fire, but she did not love him. Eventually, Ares, the god of war, fell madly in love with her, and she, though hesitant at first, reciprocated his love. They kept their affair secret initially, but after they were found out, they had many children together, including Eros, the god of love. One thing you may know about Greek mythology already is that these gods like to fraternize with humans as well. Ares met Paris, a nobleman and the prince of Troy, and told the other gods of his honesty, good judgment, and character. For that reason, Paris was called to Mount Olympus to judge who was the most beautiful goddess, Hera, Athena, or Aphrodite. Paris chose Aphrodite, and in turn, Aphrodite granted him the love of the most beautiful woman on earth. Helen of Sparta, who of course would later be known as Helen of Troy. This legend of a goddess making two mortals fall in love is really the basis for the belief in the ability to cast love spells or create love potions. If it could work for Paris and Helen and start the entire Trojan War, 
Why could summoning Aphrodite for a potion not work for me? This belief, of course, did not stay limited to the ancient Greeks and eventually became adopted by many other groups of people and spread all across Europe and eventually all the way to Ireland, where a slightly different Celtic legend began. In the 12th century, the medieval Irish legend of Tristan and Isolde is born. The story goes that Tristan was a Cornish knight and Isolde was an Irish princess. Tristan's mission was to escort Isolde from Ireland to Cornwall to marry his uncle, King Mark of Cornwall. However, on the journey, Tristan and Isolde both ingest a love potion, fall madly in love with one another, and begin a forbidden love affair. As this story spread over the years, many different versions were told, but all of them end in the demise of these two lovers. Many think of this legendary tale to be the first story about an elixir of love or a love potion. This story inspired many works of art, particularly operas. In fact, it inspired two operas that I'll be discussing today, well before the famous Wagnerian piece of the same title. Except in these stories, the main characters don't suffer the same tragic fate of our poor Tristan and Isolde. In fact, these operas are quite comedic. The first telling of this tale was written by French composer Daniel-Francois Esprit Aubert. Aubert studied opera comique under Carabini and was very musically gifted. His career truly took off when he began collaborations with librettist Eugene Scribe. The two wrote many operas together and were highly successful at the time they premiered, but are seldom performed today. One of those operas, Le Filt, is about a young farmhand, Guillaume, who is in love with Therizine, a beautiful lady above his wealth status, but has to compete with a sergeant for her love. Guillaume buys what he thinks is a love potion from a traveling charlatan, and to pay for it, he needs to join the regiment. If that story sounds familiar, it's because the plot is almost identical to that of Donizetti's Lazir d'Amore. This French opera comique was completely transitioned into a melodrama gioiacoso, or opera buffa, and it took on an entirely new life of its own. So, why, you might ask, is the Italian opera so popular today, whereas the French opera that preceded it did not stand the test of time? If the plot is the same, and the libretto originally written by Scrib and adapted by Romani is almost the same, then the difference must be mainly in the music. As such, let's talk about the man behind the music. Gaetano Donizetti is known best for being one of the three most influential composers of the Italian bel canto style in the mid-1800s, alongside his contemporaries Giochino Rossini and Vincenzo Bellini. He was born in Bergamo, a city in northern Italy, on November 29, 1797, into a poor family. His family could not pay for music lessons, but luckily, he received a scholarship to study music at the Cathedral of Santa Maria Maggiore. Donizetti showed great potential in school and through his teen years, and even in his early career from age 21 to 33, he wrote over 30 operas in just 12 years. While that was highly impressive in quantity, none of those pieces were particularly well-received or stood the test of time. This all changed in 1830 when he wrote Anna Bolena, which immediately brought him recognition all across major European cities and eventually to the United States as well. He followed Anna Bolena two years later with another huge success, Lizir d'Amore, which premiered at the Teatro della Carampiana in Milan on May 12, 1832. Lazir d'Amore in many ways showcases the very best of Donizetti's bel canto style. It has everything you would want from an opera of this time period, including beautiful orchestration, seamless emotional shifts, rich chorus parts, strong comedic moments, and of course, a gut-wrenching tenor aria that when sung well can bring the best of us to tears. All of this combined, in addition to the plot, is what keeps modern audiences as enthralled in this piece as theatergoers of the 19th century. Since its inception, Elixir has been performed across stages worldwide and continues to be programmed frequently today. Luciano Pavarotti sang the leading role of Nemorino 49 times at the Metropolitan Opera. 
The productions he starred in alongside such sopranos as Judith Blagan in 1981 and Kathleen Battle 10 years later serve to be some of the most famous and widely celebrated productions today. We will play a few excerpts of these notable productions later on in the podcast. The production at the Metropolitan Opera this season was created by Bartlett Cher, an acclaimed American theater and opera director. Cher has worked on many famous New York productions, both with the Met Opera and with Broadway theaters. His relationship with the Met started in 2006 when he directed Il Barbieri di Sevilla, continuing in 2009 with Tales of Hoffman, 2011 with Le Comte a lesser-known Rossini opera, and then in 2012 with this production of Elixir, which was intended to go past the whimsical exterior of the opera and dig a bit deeper into the historical context behind this light and fun-filled plot. Cultural commentator James Inverne writes, For every play like The Crucible, in which Arthur Miller very clearly comments on McCarthyism, there's a film like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, a sci-fi shocker that is enriched if you happen to know its Andy McCarthy agenda. And for every Nabucco, which is heavy in subtext of Italian nationalism, there is often Elisir de More. Whereas a composer like Verdi is inextricably linked to the Risorgimento movement in Italy, Donizetti is not thought of as having been a particularly political composer. But that's also how his work evaded strict censorship at the time. Rossini, for example, attempted to include an aria for his leading soprano called Pensa alla Patria, which translates to Think of the Homeland, in the 1813 light comedic opera La Italiana in Algerie. This was far too blatantly nationalist for the censors in Naples at the time, and the aria had to be completely changed. So clearly that was going too far. Cher believes that Donizetti tries to evoke Italian nationalistic ideas in the audience, but only if you know to look for them, as they're quite well disguised as other things. He believes that Nemorino and his relationship with Adina embody the spirit of Italian unity, while Belcore represents the Australian conservative regime invading their space. Cher attempts to reflect that in his setting of the opera, which takes place in a small village in rural Italy in 1836, when the Risorgimento movement for Italian unification was just beginning to gather momentum. Donizetti's composition of this opera is full of rich subtext and allusions, which I'll try to call out as we deep dive into some of the pieces of this masterwork. The first aria in this opera is Quanto è bella, quanto è cara, which translates to How Beautiful She Is, How Dear She Is. It is sung by Nemorino, the poor farm boy. He is in love with Adina, a wealthy landowner, but he knows she's above his status and therefore thinks she would never reciprocate his feelings. Nemorino's Cavatina aria begins with flutes playing a simple melody in C major, which really sets the scene. It's a very pastoral sound inspired by the idea of shepherds playing pipes as they watch their sheep. The mood is humble, simplistic, and sweet. When Nemorino begins to sing, his melody is mostly syllabic, with one syllable per note. It's also smooth and gentle without any large leaps or melismas. While this might not be what you're expecting from a typical bel canto aria, it shows you that Nemorino is a simple person. He describes that he isn't well-educated or fancy in any way, unlike the object of his affection. He is just simple and sweet and pure, and that's very well reflected in the music. Toward the end of the aria, he repeats the line, I can't inspire any affection in her heart, over and over, becoming more desperate and more emotional with every repetition. This is reflected in the vocal line by becoming higher and higher each repetition to reflect the increasing emotions. The following recording of this aria is from the 1981 Metropolitan Opera production starring Luciano Pavarotti as Nemorino.
Pavarotti sang the role of Nemorino for over 30 years, and his recordings of this aria are quite masterful. You can really hear his smooth and consistent tone reinforcing the narrative being told by the music. As the aria comes to a close, Nemorino continues to lament over his love for Adina. Then Adina lets out a chuckle while reading her book. She begins to read the story of Tristan and Isolde aloud to the workers on the farm as she sings the aria Della Crudele Isolde. As mentioned, this story was in part the basis for the opera's plot, so the reference is a bit of foreshadowing and a fun nod to the audience and anyone who's familiar with the story. The aria opens with a waltz to signify Adina's sophisticated nature and wealth as she reads from her book. Then it changes to a simpler melody for the choruses of the farm workers to show their contrast in status. Adina's vocal line includes beautiful coloratura in the quintessential bel canto style, showing the range and beauty of her voice. This clip is from the 1991 Metropolitan Opera production, where the role of Adina is sung by Kathleen Battle. You can really hear how Kathleen Battle soars through the high notes, exemplifying how bel canto arias highlight the beauty of the singer's voice and the precision of their technique. After the aria ends, and the chorus muses on how fantastic an elixir like the one in the story would be, the music drastically changes to a rhythmic march and a regiment of soldiers comes onto the scene, led by Sergeant Belcore, whose name feels a little ironic. Something unique about Cher's production is that when the soldiers enter, the townspeople are afraid and get agitated by them. The soldiers sort of push the people that work on the farm out of the way and have more of an aggressive presence, whereas in previous productions at the Met, it was staged so that the townspeople were excited by the arrival of the soldiers. Clearly, this is an example of Cher leaning into the Risorgimento undertones of the plot. If you look closely, you may even notice some of the men who are working on the farm bearing arms, alluding to the existence of a rebellion. In another shift in tone, Belcore sings the aria Come Pari de Vestoso in an attempt to sweep Adina off her feet. The first half of the aria, Belcore is complimenting Adina and attempting to charm her, whereas the second half, he's already patting himself on the back for being such a charming and gallant sergeant that he is completely irresistible to all women. 
Donizetti wrote a lot of melismatic passages into this aria facetiously, making fun of Belcore's character for being showy and thinking that he's so great and so important. And that's a key distinction. Adina gets to sing beautiful melismas in her arias because she is an important character, whereas Belcore sings them because he thinks that he is important. Belcore even makes two references to mythology in his aria. First, comparing himself to Paris in choosing Adina as his Aphrodite, naming her the most beautiful of the goddesses. And second, he compares himself to the Roman god of war, Mars, who was able to win over the goddess of love, Venus, in Roman mythology, the equivalent of Ares and Aphrodite in Greek mythology, as I mentioned before. This clip is from the 2018 Metropolitan Opera production in which the role of Belcore is sung by Davide Luciano. As you can hear, Luciano really lays it on thick and over-exaggerates the advances with his voice, and that's exactly what we're looking for in this comedic moment. Immediately following the aria, Belcore professes his love and asks Adina to marry him. Adina is reluctant but doesn't totally reject his advances and responds in a playful manner, which is evidently good enough for him and gives him the confidence to feel that he's winning her over. He tells her that the regiment will be occupying the piazza, and they head off. Nemorino then decides that it's his last chance to tell Adina how he feels. He asks if he can speak with her, and she tells him to run along and visit his rich uncle, noting that if he doesn't visit his uncle, he may leave the entire family fortune to someone else, and then he'll go hungry. Nemorino, ever the romantic, says that whether he dies from hunger or his love, it doesn't matter. She rejects his advances, and then they sing the duet, Chiedi allora lusinghiera. She tells him that she is fickle and that her love is like a breeze flowing from flower to flower, and that he shouldn't take love so seriously either. He responds that his love is more like being dragged into the ocean, and that he cannot escape it. They continue to go back and forth, with Nemorino pining for Adina's affection and Adina rejecting him. But we do see that, regardless of the argument, there is a playful dynamic between the two characters. We then shift to the piazza, where we hear a trumpet sounding. The townspeople are wondering what the commotion is, and suddenly a lavish carriage rolls into town. Everyone wonders, who is arriving in it? Is it a baron or a duke? Who could it be? And out steps a man that no one really recognizes. He sings Udite Udite, which is basically the equivalent of Hear Ye, Hear Ye, and then begins to explain, for those of you who don't already recognize me from my immense fame, 
I'm Dr. Dolkamara, and my powers of healing are known to the universe. He claims that his potions can cure any number of ills and ailments, preventing people from aging or getting sick. This introductory aria for the Basso Buffo is quite comedic. It's written in a style we commonly refer to as a patter song, which is when a character sings very quickly in a limited vocal range, specifically singing as many syllables as possible in the shortest amount of time possible. While Italian comedic operas used the patter tactic first, today the style is commonly associated with Gilbert and Sullivan operettas. The clip of this aria is also from the 2018 Metropolitan Opera production, in which the role of Dr. Dolcomara is sung by Ambrogio Maestri. Part of what makes this scene so funny is that it's the epitome of dramatic irony. The whole town appears to be enamored with this charlatan. Right off the bat, it's clear to the audience that he's a phony, but he seems to have everyone on stage fooled. Even in the most comedic scenes, however, we hear and see allusions to the Risorgimento movement if we know to look for them. For example, toward the end of the aria, Dulcamara states that he's giving the townspeople a special discounted price of three lire because he too was born in this country. By this country, he means Italy, even though Italy was not unified as a country at the time. As he continues to sing in Cher's production, we see some of the men who work on Adina's farm buying guns from the back of the carriage, all the way upstage behind the main action of the scene. Again, just underscoring the fact that they may be preparing to fight. As the aria ends and the crowd disperses, we see our sweet, susceptible, and love-struck Nemorino. It is just beginning to dawn on him that the doctor might have something for him as well. Nemorino asks Dulcamara if it's true that he has fantastical and secret potions. Dulcamara assures Nemorino that his pouch of goods is like Pandora's box, which is yet another reference to Greek mythology. And had Nemorino understood the reference, maybe he would not have been so inclined to purchase something from him in the first place. For the audience, however, we are once again being let in on the joke that things will certainly go awry. Nemorino asks Dulcamara if he has any love potions like the one Isolde took, and he shows the doctor Adina's book for reference. Of course, Dulcamara takes this opportunity to say, you bet I do, I'm the one who makes it. Nemorino is thrilled and immediately wants to buy some. Unfortunately, he only has one gold coin. But very coincidentally, that's exactly the price of the elixir. Of course, Nemorino is ecstatic. They sing the duet Obligato Obligato, which begins with Nemorino saying that he is much obliged and very thankful to be in possession of such an elixir, expressing his gratitude and excitement. Dulcamara enters the duet eight bars later with an aside to the audience, saying he's never met someone as naive and foolish as Nemorino. He starts out singing in thirds with Nemorino's melody and transitions back and forth from the melody and his patter style of singing from the previous aria, as Nemorino strictly continues his melody and profusely thanks the doctor without stop. Now that the sale has been made, Dulcamara is ready to hit the road. But, of course, Nemorino comes up with a few silly questions to ask him before he can get on his way. 
During this portion of the duet, the doctor tells Nemorino that the elixir will take 24 hours to kick in, which is conveniently just enough time for him to pack up the wagon and get out of town. He also admits to the audience, as another aside, that the elixir is actually just a bottle of Bordeaux. And just as the doctor is getting ready to head out, Nemorino starts to sing the melody from the first half of the duet all over again. The repetition in this second half really adds to the comedic element of the scene. Let us listen to a clip from the 1981 Metropolitan Opera production with Sesto Bruscantini as Dulcamara and Pavarotti as Nemorino. Before Dolcamara leaves, he tells Nemorino not to tell anyone else about the elixir, because the police might interfere. Nemorino responds that he won't tell a soul, and that he's drinking the elixir for one special woman alone. When the duet comes to an end, Nemorino is left alone to admire his new purchase. He sings Caro Elisir to his new prized possession, and after a moment of admiration, he takes his first sips. Unsurprisingly, he loves it and begins to take gulp after gulp until the whole bottle is disappearing. He is absolutely thrilled with the elixir, and through a combination of the placebo effect and the alcohol, his confidence is soaring. He begins gleefully singing loudly and drunkenly, which is a perfect time for Adina to enter the scene. She sees him and wonders why he's so cheery all of a sudden. When Nemorino notices Adina, he decides not to approach her yet. He wants to wait until the elixir is in full effect the following day until he makes his move. That way she'll have no choice but to love him. So he decides to pretend not to even notice her. But she's on to him. She has a feeling that his gleefulness is an act and knows that there's something strange going on. Adina approaches and says, Oh good, you've taken my advice and stopped taking love so seriously. And Nemorino agrees and continues to give his best attempt at being aloof, agreeing that his fiery passions have been extinguished. They both pretend to be happy with that outcome. The duet that follows, Esulti pour la Barbara, consists of simultaneous asides. Nemorino begins by singing to the audience, let her gloat over my suffering just for a bit longer, and tomorrow she'll be in love with me. Adina sings, This fool thinks that he can cast off the chains of love and ignore his feelings for me, but soon those chains will feel heavier than ever, and he will be more and more in love with me. What's ironic about this duet is that they're both basically thinking the same thing. Just wait, they're going to be so in love with me and be begging for my attention. And this is really reflected in the music. 
Nemorino introduces the duet melody, and Adina repeats it exactly as it was presented. Nemorino's ability to introduce this new melody and have Adina follow his lead exemplifies the change in the dynamic of their relationship. When we first met Nemorino, he was pining over Adina with seemingly very little reciprocation. Now the power dynamic has changed, and they've found themselves in an even playing field, both wanting the attention of one another. Nemorino even has some showy melismas to share this time, which Adina, of course, sings perfectly with ease. The duet ends with both voices singing simultaneously and a unison note at the very end to show that they truly are an even match at this moment in the opera. The clip we're going to hear is also from the 1981 Met production featuring Judith Blagan singing the role of Adina. Adina and Nemorino's flirtatious attempt to one-up each other is interrupted by the entrance of Sergeant Belcore. Adina uses this moment to flirt with Belcore in front of Nemorino to continue to try to get a rise out of him. She even tells Belcore that she'll marry him in six days. Nemorino laughs and says that's fine with him, knowing that the elixir will kick in tomorrow and Adina will never go through with the nuptials. The three characters sing simultaneously, Nemorino continuing to laugh at their plans to be married, knowing his secret elixir will foil them. Adina, upset that her plan to make Nemorino jealous isn't working, and Belcore confused and angered by Nemorino's mocking. Just then, the troops arrive with a message from the captain. The soldiers are being ordered to leave town first thing in the morning. Belcore recommends that he and Adina just get married immediately that day. And for the first time since drinking the elixir, Nemorino actually looks frightened. Seeing Nemorino's reaction, Adina agrees to get married. Nemorino begins to panic and begs Adina not to marry Belcore today and just wait one more day and then she'll understand. At this point, Belcore has had enough of Nemorino and begins to threaten him and become violent. Adina tells Belcore not to pay attention to Nemorino and that he's just crazed and in love. To Nemorino's dismay, Adina invites the whole town to a wedding banquet, and the preparations begin. And with a final chorus number, the curtain closes on the first act. Act two opens, and we're at the wedding for Adina and Belcore. The chorus is singing, Cantiamo, let's sing, and the celebration begins. Belcore is making a toast to love and wine and women, and is acting like the ringleader of the jubilations. Adina, on the other hand, is preoccupied with the fact that Nemorino isn't there. After all, her entire point of having this wedding was to make him jealous, and now he's not even in attendance. 
Dr. Joel Kamara decides to liven up the party with a song, and even requests that Adina join him in singing it. The song is called La Nina Gondoliera y il Senator Tridenti. Adina plays the part of a poor but beautiful gondola girl, and Joel Kamara plays the part of a rich senator pining for her love. The wedding guests are delighted by the performance and think Joel Kamara is a master of all trades. When the notary finally arrives to have the wedding contract signed and notarized, Adina stalls, as she never really intended to go through with the wedding and is still waiting for Nemorino to arrive. Meanwhile, Nemorino finds Dul Kamara eating the wedding feast and begs him for another bottle of the elixir, hoping that a double dose will speed up the effects. Unfortunately, he doesn't have any money to pay for a second bottle because he spent all of his money on the first bottle. The doctor leaves the stage, telling Nemorino to come find him once he's got the money. Then, Belcore returns on the scene a few moments later with some men from his regiment. Nemorino hides when he hears them coming. As Belcore enters, he complains that Adina refused to sign the wedding documents until later that evening. Belcore sees Nemorino and asks him why he's despairing. Nemorino responds that it's because he doesn't have any money. Belcore's first love, being the army, tells Nemorino to join their regiment and that he'll receive a sign-on bonus right away. Nemorino is tempted, but really takes a moment to weigh the decision and what it could mean to actually join the army. Again, this moment appears to allude to the political climate of the Risorgimento movement, as Nemorino reflects on what it could mean for him to abandon his homeland, to join a military group whose morals he may not even align with, and all the perils of war that he would surely experience. Alternately, Belcore sings of the glory and honor of the regiment, of the drums drumming and the flags waving, and how the soldiers are loved by all. Nemorino's lines are legato and lyrical, contrasted by Belcore's staccato rhythms, exemplifying the two very different perspectives on war. Eventually, Nemorino gives in and determines that winning Adina's love is worth going to war for, and he signs the enlistment papers. Before he can run off and spend his sign-on bonus on a fresh bottle of elixir, Belcore stops him to congratulate him and welcome him aboard the regiment. He states that Nemorino can follow his footsteps and work his way up the ranks. He also remarks on the fact that he's recruited his rival for Adina's love and continues to pat himself on the back for accomplishing such a feat. Nemorino doesn't care. <laughs> he's on a one-track mind, and as soon as he's able to escape, he flees the scene to find Dr. Dolcamara and get his new bottle of elixir to win Adina's love. In the next scene, we see Gianetta, Adina's gossipy friend, gathering the women of the town while none of the men are around. She has some gossip to spill. She tells all of the women that she heard from a very reliable source that Nemorino's uncle has died and left him the entire family fortune. Nemorino is now the wealthiest man in town, and he doesn't even know it. All of the women are thrilled by this exciting news that Nemorino, the poor farmhand, is now a millionaire. This clip of Saria Possibile is sung by Ashley Emerson and the Metropolitan Opera Chorus in the 2018 Met production.
While all of that was going on, Nemorino was off buying and subsequently drinking his new bottle of elixir, and he is once again drunk and stumbling about the stage. When the women see him, they immediately fall all over him. They're doing so because he's suddenly become incredibly rich, but he thinks it's because the elixir is finally working. Adina simultaneously receives the news from Belcore that Nemorino has decided to join the army. When she goes looking for him to confront him about this, she finds a crowd of women fighting over him and she's stunned. She runs to tell him that he's made a huge mistake and that he should not go to war, but this time Nemorino actually brushes her off. The tables have truly turned, and Adina starts to panic for the first time that she may have actually lost her chance with Nemorino. Nemorino, on the other hand, is thrilled that the elixir may finally be working on the true object of his affections. As Adina sings of her heartache, a single tear falls from her eye. Dulcamara, seeing her grief, sees another potential customer. When they are alone, he tells Adina that Nemorino's newfound happiness is all thanks to his elixir. Adina doesn't believe him at first, but Dulcamara tells her the whole story of how Nemorino was miserable due to his unrequited love from some cruel woman, and that he had no choice but to sell himself to the army in order to get the elixir in hopes of winning his love. Adina is taken aback that Nemorino loved her so much that he would go through all of this suffering just to be with her, and she feels terribly. Adina asks the doctor if Nemorino still loves her, and Dulcamara implies, intentionally, that Nemorino could be with anyone now, so who's to say? As Adina continues to despair over long, beautiful legato lines, Dulcamara thinks for certain that he has another sail on his hands. Adina, however, is too intelligent to fall for his tricks. She knows now in her heart that she wants only Nemorino, and that she'll be able to win him over with her looks and her charm and without any help from this so-called doctor. And with that, the two of them run off to find Nemorino. We see Nemorino alone, having escaped his newfound horde of fans. He also saw Adina's tear. He thinks, could it be that she's crying over me? And becomes overjoyed that the elixir has finally worked. With this, we hear the most famous aria in the opera, Una Furtiva Lagrima, which translates to a furtive tear. The piece begins with a single bassoon and a harp, and thematically centers around Nemorino's journey from hopelessness to hopefulness that Adina may, in fact, return his love. This growing hopefulness is represented as each verse begins in the minor key and then transitions into the major key. Let's listen to a clip of Javier Camarena singing this aria in a recital at Teatro Real in 2019. Camarena is singing the role of Nemorino at the Metropolitan Opera this season. Just as the aria comes to an end, Adina approaches. 
Nemorino decides to remain aloof until Adina expresses how she feels. Adina asks him why he's decided to join the regiment. Nemorino lies, or, you know, doesn't exactly tell the whole truth, and says he thinks it'll help him improve his future. Adina tells Nemorino that she cares about his life and admits that she purchased his enlistment papers from Belcore so he doesn't have to go to war. Nemorino sees this as her first act of love, but still tries to remain aloof until she's finally willing to admit it. He doesn't take the papers back until Adina begins to beg him to take them, further explaining the worth of his life, but still not truly admitting her feelings. When he continues to hold out just a bit longer, Adina begs him to stay there at the farm, where people love him, and she promises that he won't be sad and discouraged anymore. She's saying everything except admitting that she is in love with him. He finally takes the papers back and asks her if there's anything else at all that she would like to admit to him. When she says no, Nemorino gets angry and states that he would rather die in war than live in a town where she doesn't love him. Finally, Adina admits that she does love him and that he should have known that all along and trusted his heart. The couple is finally able to rejoice in their love for one another. Belcori comes to find the couple rejoicing, and he's not thrilled, but, you know, because it's a comedy, he gets over it quickly and says he'll meet other women. Hearing this, Dulcamara enters to offer his elixir to a new potential customer. Dulcamara announces that Nemorino is now the wealthiest man in town, which is only a shock to Nemorino, and claims that his love and his wealth are both thanks to a little elixir. That was Soprano and the Guild School Program Senior Associate, Alison Sheehan, discussing Donizetti's Elixir of Love. The opera returns to the Met stage on April 13th with Alexandra Kurzak as Adina and Sabier Andwaga as Nemorino. Make sure to follow the Metropolitan Opera Guild, Opera News, and the Metropolitan Opera on your favorite social media platforms to keep up to date on all things opera. I'm your host, Stuart Holt, and thank you so much for listening.